Hey, what's up? What's poppin'? What's good, my beautiful Well family? Uh, I hope you are doing well. Uh, it is good to be with you all again. You look good out there, all right? I can't see you, but I know it. I can feel it. I can feel it in my soul. You're looking good, most of y'all. Some of y'all... That's a whole other sermon for another time, all right? Uh, Hey, I can't wait to be back together with you, but I'm excited right now to jump into Philippians and uh, to kind of dive into what we feel like God is leading us towards as a church and really as a church body at large. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Let's chop it up. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, feel free to pause and to go grab one. We want your eyes on the Word. And hey, listen, if you're a new Christian, if during this kind of pandemic season where we have not been able to gather, if you've actually come to faith in this time, I would actually encourage you to go back to that connect page and to mark off like, hey, like I'm a Christian now and maybe type in like, hey, I want a Bible. We would actually love to bring you uh, a Bible and kind of give that as a gift to you. And so uh, we would love for you to have the word of God as part of this new journey uh, of walking with Christ. And if you want a new Bible, uh, there's this dope site called amazon.com and they're back to two day delivery. So go ahead and get that. All right. Uh, And so I also feel bad for the people that accidentally left their Bibles at Martin, like the last week before we met. Like, man, bring a renewal to them spiders only. That's the only people getting renewal, all right? Uh, So hey, before we dive in, I want to give you a little bit of background so that you know why we chose this book and kind of where we want to go with this series at large. We picked Philippians because we felt like it was a great book for this time, really to help guide us as a church into really what we want to be feeling, our posture during this season, and also what we want to be doing in this season as a body. The general attitude of this book is really the posture and the attitude that we want to have as the people of God at large. And so Paul, he's writing this letter while he's quarantined, isolated, in a prison cell from everyone that he knows. Like at least you got Zoom and grocery store runs, right? Like Paul had none of that. He was isolated and yet Philippians is loaded with joy. Joy floods all of the pages, literally lacing almost every single paragraph that we have, you see this posture of Paul that is filled with joy and with hope. And so despite his situation, he has hope, which is beautiful in his uh, circumstance. And we can have that too. You see the government, they actually placed Paul in jail for preaching about Jesus. And so even though they may have tried to limit his earthly happiness, no one could strip him from his eternal joy that was rightly his in Christ. All right. And by the way, I'm making a political statement saying the government put him there. So don't at me either. All right. Uh, If you ever do want to email me, my email is A-N-T-H-O-N-Y at thewellaustin.com. All right. So. Hey, look, this isn't just a letter on joy, though. There's a lot of that in there, but it's actually about working together as partners in the gospel. As Stephanie said in the intro, they're really advancing the gospel. They're serving one another and how when they do that, that actually produces this joy and this happiness that is within them. The word gospel actually appears in Philippians more times than any other New uh, Testament epistle per capita. And it's overflowing with words like Christ and partnership and joy and unity. And so this is why we wanted to go into this. Philippians was actually the first church that was planted in Europe. Now, the ironic thing is that Paul actually didn't want to go to Europe at first. He actually wanted to go to Asia, but the door got 
shut from him going to Asia, so he ended up here instead, and then the gospel exploded and it flourished. And look, just straight up, this is what happens often. Like, God may be shutting one door in your life because he is opening up gospel-advancing opportunities in other areas. And so this is what we have here, Paul going into this opportunity that God opened, and even though he wasn't expecting it, the gospel flourished and there was joy that radiated out of Paul because of that. And so even though none of us were expecting to be on Zoom calls 24-7, the gospel can still radiate and our hearts can flourish with joy if we're seeing what God is doing in the midst of this. And so Paul was moving in that way. And so kind of as we come into this letter, I want us to be thinking about this, that Paul, the most isolated man, the man that's sitting in a jail cell, has more joy than anyone in all of Rome. Like, think about this, right? Like, like he is chained to a Roman prison guard. That's the only person he knows or can see. And he is radiating with joy. How? How is this? Like, I want you to think about Rome at this time. It is filled with decadencies all over the place. Like, there's all of these erotic pleasures and toys and games and infrastructure and a booming economy and entertainment and theater and lavish parties. And yet Paul is a thousand times more joy-filled than any other citizen in Rome. How? How is this? Like, how can Paul feel this? And do you have this, friend? Like, do you have more joy than any other person in the world because of what you have inside of you? You see, the reality is, is that it is sitting on a platter for you to consume. And this joy can be yours if you are in Christ, but you got to consume it. And that's what Paul did. And so let's dive into how we really gain this treasure and gain this joy. And let's chop it up in the text together. And I'm going to have my good friend, Nick Garza, uh, read that for us. Thanks, Jerry. And hi, Will family. My name is Nicholas Garza. I'm one of the coordinators for the Setup and Teardown team. And I'm also a member of the Southside Strong Side community group. So today I'm gonna to be reading from Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and discernment so that you all may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nick. I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff in here. And we're not going to unpack it all today. I'll leave some of that for you for community groups this week. Uh, But I do want you to notice a few things. First of all, uh, notice how Paul, he doesn't just teach in his letters, but in every one of Paul's letters, he also prays. And he always, almost always opens it with prayer. If teaching were enough, he wouldn't have prayed. He would have just taught them the truth. But prayer is actually vital for our growth. 
<clears throat> so we co-labor with the Spirit and the gifts that He's given us, trusting Him to actually do the work. But part of that co-laboring is actually us praying for the people that God has placed in our life. Now, we do have to do work. We don't just pray. And so what Paul actually prays here is what he'll teach throughout the letter at large. And so really what we see is that labor without uh, prayer, it produces a lot of busyness, but not a whole lot of fruit. Kind of similarly, prayer without labor, it actually produces a ton of hope, but sometimes it doesn't produce fruit. There's just wishful thinking that things will happen. But really, when we pray and we labor and trust the Holy Spirit, we partner with Him, and that's where we see gospel transformation. And so Paul, he opens up this uh, letter with prayer, and then he's going to teach them on the back end of it. Now Paul, what you see is he has this great affection for the Philippian believers in the church, And really, he has all this great affection for how they supported him. This letter is actually a thank you letter to his supporters. Some of you may support missionaries overseas or even people in our own church who have raised funds outside the church to be able to work inside the church. Really, usually what happens is they write thank you letters or update letters. And that's what Paul is literally doing here. The Philippians, they actually supported him. But it was more than just a typical kind of giving the money to the missionary. The way they supported him is actually what drew Paul's affection for them. You see, Paul was in jail at this time, and in an honor-shame culture, which is what we are working with here, whenever you associated closely with somebody, you were actually seen to have the same character as that individual. And so it was actually common that when Christians got put in jail, the temptation was was to disassociate because you didn't want to be seen as like a criminal or even a thug is kind of how they would have been perceived at that time. But instead of disassociating with Paul, which many people around him often did, they actually engaged even further. They gave him even more money and they were excited that he was sharing the gospel with the judges and his captors and the prison guard that he's attached to at this moment. They were excited about that. And so this actually stirs up Paul's affection for them because they're laboring with him even in the midst of trial in a lot of ways. So he's thankful for their support and they both get to share in the work of Christ together and what this is doing is it's producing joy. They're both growing in this joy for one another as they're really supporting and encouraging one another in the faith. And so a large part of Paul's joy throughout this book is actually that there's relationship and there's partnership even though there's separation here. Notice Paul did not have to be close to them to have this affection and this joy. Now he wanted to be close to them. That's really clear if you look at verse 8. He longs for this gathering, for this connecting together, just as we long to be together as a church. But even though there's distance, the fact that they are working together in the gospel and Paul knows they are unified in mission, it's producing joy in Paul's heart and it's overflowing for this church. And the same is true for the church. They clearly love Paul and they are partnering together and pushing forward the gospel. My question is, do you have those sort of relationships? Do you have partnership with others where you are doing ministry together, or maybe you're giving to them and watching them do ministry, or maybe they're giving to you and you get to do ministry because of it, or whatever it might be. Like, do you allow the partnership of the gospel to bring joy in your heart? Do you have those? Because I think if you have them, you'll actually have joy. That's what we see here in this uh, letter. You see the Greek word there for affection. You see there, it means uh, the inward parts of the body where a 
emotion and compassion kind of dwell. You know how like you love someone so much you can feel it? That's what Paul is saying there. I feel it inside of me how much I love you because of this partnership. My second daughter, she's a massive feeler. And sometimes she'll like run up to us and she'll be like, I love you. And like clench her teeth. And, and it's like she feels it. And I'm like, yeah, right? That's what Paul's saying there. If you've ever known somebody like that, maybe that's you. And Paul is saying, look, I feel it, right? There's this deep love that goes way beyond duty. Paul's not just saying, oh, I planted a church, now I have to shepherd you. There's this love that is there. Do you allow yourself to feel this way towards others? Do you feel this way towards other Christians who you are actually co-laboring together with? As a church family, covenant community, do we feel that way together? We have decided to partner together with the vision, the mission of God. Do you feel this? Do you even remember this? You see, if not, maybe you're not serving enough. Maybe you're not actually giving yourself enough to be able to feel that love for one another. Or maybe you haven't rejoiced in the ways that you are serving and God is actually using you. You haven't stopped to reflect on the goodness of God in his using you. Whatever it is, there's an opportunity to actually grow in joy as we grow in partnership in the gospel. You see, the more we serve others, the more it actually produces this joy, this feeling that kind of comes from the inside. And that joy will produce that sort of affection that Paul is talking about. You hear me say often at the end of sermons, maybe even every week, I love you guys. And that's not platitude. That's not me just saying something. I really do love you. I feel it in my soul. And oftentimes I'm brought to tears when I am praying for you or thinking about you or prepping sermons. And it actually came through years of service. And the more I serve, the more I actually grow in love, even though some of y'all be acting trifling sometimes. (laughs) I actually love even more, right? It's a gift. There's joy here. If you don't understand this, just ask any parent, okay? Like ask anybody that has kids. You ever wonder why parents love their kids so much that they can feel it inside of them when every time you see the kids, you wonder if they're possessed with a demon or not, (laughs) right? Like they're sitting here running on the walls literally and you're like, yo, that's a demon cuz, right? Like the parents scream at them and then when you get in the car, all of a sudden there's an IG post talking about how much they love their kids, right? Well, this is easy. It's because the parent is a servant and as the parent serves their kids, they actually grow in affection for their kids. God has actually naturally hardwired it to be like that. And so if it's true in the family, wouldn't it be true in the church family too? That when we serve one another, we grow in this love and this affection for one another. Paul Carlson, one of our former elders used to always say to me, you know, if they would just serve more and stop thinking about themselves, they'd be more happy. And I agree with that. And we see that often. Now, look, for sure, there's things that happen biologically and chemically that may be making it harder to receive joy. That is true. But that's also not the norm. The norm is, is that as we serve, we actually grow in joy, even if that's the case with us. Even if we struggle with things mentally, still our serving, God has hardwired it to make us grow in affection. And as we grow in affection, we grow in joy. And Paul is for our joy. The Bible is for our joy. And so as we serve one another, we grow in this. And so one very, very easy application would actually be just to pause the video right now and to go tell somebody that you love them or that you're thankful for them in their service and ministry. Maybe you co-labor together, you serve together on a team. Man, thank them that they are making you have more joy as you partner together in ministry. Or maybe you uh, actually are supporting someone or maybe you really just love how someone labors away at the gospel like Paul is loving 
loving the way the Philippians are doing it, man, encourage them. You'll actually give them longevity and endurance and ministry, and you will give both of y'all joy in the midst of that. And so I want to encourage you, like, go ahead and pause it and text somebody and encourage them. Like, I'm actually just going to sit here and wait for a second so you can pause the video, all right? Pause it. Pause it. (laughs) Encourage them. All right. See, look, you came back happy, didn't you? Came back to the video cheesing, all right? Uh, If you didn't do it, go do it, okay? Uh, You'll see how it actually produces some joy. And do this frequently, and the more frequently you do it, the more joy will actually come out of it. Partnership, affection, service, this is part of the way we find our joy, okay? But it wasn't just this partnership or this deep love for them that was producing joy in Paul. He also clearly treasures Christ. You look at verse 6, you look at verse 8, you look at verse 11, and Paul has this affection for the King Jesus, for God. He says, God is my witness. Like, in other words, saying, I promise, I, I swear to God is almost a way that he's saying that. Like, I love God so much is what Paul is saying here. He has this deep emotion. And so we shouldn't just learn theology from the Apostle Paul, but we should actually learn the importance of having emotion, affection, a heart that is activated by Christ. You see, Paul's faith ha- doesn't have the appearance of a stuffy classroom sort of faith, right? Where is all this passion in it? Because Jesus isn't just meant to be studied like a frog in a biology class, but Jesus is meant to be adored as the lover of our souls. And Paul adores Christ. He doesn't just know about him. He knows him intimately and deeply. And this is driving his joy, family, like, think about it in any relationship. In fact, in my own marriage, me and Natalie, our 10-year anniversary is actually today when we're recording it, okay? And so we're excited. It's kind of weird because by the time you watch it, it'll be two days old, all right? But it is today. And so we're going to celebrate tonight. And, like, imagine, okay, if we're sitting down having a nice dinner, which everything's closed, so we ain't going nowhere, but we're going to do it right in our house, all right? And, you know, we're having a nice dinner, and there's wine. Don't at me, okay? And we're just loving each other, looking at each other's eyes and then if all of a sudden I just like pull out a book and I just start reading things about Natalie I'm like hmm and for like an hour at dinner I'm not really looking at her I'm just reading about her right (laughs) like like literally that would not produce affection what actually produces it is that as I study her as I do listen to her words just like we have the word of God that we can listen to but then I begin to put it into practice I realize that there's certain things that she likes and so I do those things often and there's certain things that she doesn't like and if I want a happy next 10 years of marriage I won't do those things and it's as I study and then put into practice that these two things things collide together and we have deeper love and out of that deeper love there's more joy family the same is true in our relationship with Christ if it is true with our earthly marriages how much more true is it with our heavenly spouse Jesus see as we learn about him and grow in him and then as we put that into practice we find this affection that swells up in our hearts you look at what Paul's saying here do you know how many times we're going through verse 18 today that Paul mentions the word Jesus or the gospel in just these first 18 verses. He mentions the word Christ 12 times and he mentions the word gospel five times. So all but one verse, he is saying something about Christ or something about the work of Christ, the gospel. 
And by the way, I did not count twice when he said things like Christ Jesus. I only counted that as one. And I didn't count when he said things like the message. I just counted just the gospel. So it's actually even more than that. And so scripture says, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so in other words, what your heart cares about, that's what you'll talk about most often. That's why you find dudes that are crushing on girls always got to find a way to bring them up in conversation, right? It's because their heart is filled with them. They have to talk about him. Is there any doubt what Paul's heart is filled with as he just pours over Christ over and over in just the opening parts of this letter? He can't help but talk about what his heart cares most about, and that is our King Jesus. He loves him. There's affection there. And then what Paul does is he goes into, verse 9, this discernment and knowledge and approving what is excellent. You see there on your screen. Notice the cognitive words there, right? Like there's this loving him with his heart and with his mind. And so we don't shut off our minds when we come to Christ, right? Like this isn't some empty scholarly religion, no, but it's also not some mushy, gushy, Hallmark movie type of faith either, right? Sorry if you like those Hallmark movies. Actually, no, I ain't, all right? I had so many comments there. Restraint, restraint, restraint. I love you, right? Uh, listen, Christianity is actually the only religion that consistently requires us to activate both our heart and our head. The head, as we think thoughts about God, they actually drive our emotions. And our emotions, as we feel more about God, drives us to want to learn more about him. And as those two work together, it produces this heart, a desire, an affection for God. And that affection produces joy, family. This is what God wants for you. I love what Tony Merida, he's a pastor and a biblical commentator, says about this passage. He says this, be this type of Christian, biblically informed and deeply affectionate. Unfortunately, many Christians never pursue wisdom and knowledge, and consequently, they make terrible choices and even follow false teachers who prey on gullible, emotion-driven people. Others affirm sound doctrine, but have no genuine affection for Christ. We must avoid these extremes as we grow in our pursuit of the knowledge and affection. And so the heart and the head, they are working together like pistons in an engine, one spurring one another on, fueling this car of ours that's called our faith. And as we grow in our heart and in our head affections and it spurs us forward and it gives us joy as we do that. And so let us have this joy, a joy that is overflowing with our understanding and our commitment to Christ. I love what 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8 says. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Yeet, yeet, come on. Uh, that is good stuff, right? As you love him, you rejoy in joy and you can't even express it. Even though it's in there, you can't fully get it out. And yet it is overflowed with glory, it says. Hallelujah. This is good, good news. Do you maybe even feel this joy wanting to spark in your heart right now? Let it, family. 
feed those flames that you would have this intimacy with Christ that is yours in the gospel. You have it. God wants to fill you with this joy and this love as you come to him and understand him more. Like listen to all these scriptures. John chapter 15 verse 11. It says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Psalm chapter 16 verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm chapter 4 verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they when they have uh, their grain and wine abounding. Look, I love food, right? I like wine. That does make my heart happy. It is way more filled with joy when I have Christ. That's what he's saying there. More than anybody in the world with the greatest food, it is filled when I have Jesus. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The scriptures are flooded with joy because God is for your joy. And as you come to him and know him, you get filled with this joy. Now see, the enemy wants to come to you right now and see, yeah, see, you a phony because you ain't feeling none of that. But that's exactly what Paul is praying for, right? My bad, I'm like standing up and like, sit down, sit down, <laughs> right? Like literally Paul is praying that their joy is filled, family. Like this was what Paul wants for them. And so yes, you may not be feeling it with this much oomph, but God wants to build it in you. He wants to have you overflowing with joy. And this comes as you fall in love with the king of the universe, Jesus. This is yours in Christ. Are you chasing after this? Do you seek to know him more? Even as you dive into the depths of Christ, realize how this is produced even in Paul throughout this letter. You see, as he starts thinking about God and writing about God, you can see this swell of emotion in Paul. In verse 6, he talks about how it is God's work of salvation from the start to the finish that keeps us in the faith. And praise God for that, because if salvation was up to me, I'd be fumbling that ball all over the field, right? But God is the one that keeps us, God's sovereignty, his control. And this makes Paul uh, filled with joy. Even prayer itself is a means to understand God more, is it not? Like literally, when we switch from lamenting, which is good and it's fine, but then we go into prayer, often what we're telling our hearts are, what do we have to be glad in in Christ? And Paul has a ton to be glad in. Like let us seek God that we may know how to rejoice. His prayer is lifting him up to the goodness of God. And he starts to think about how awesome this church is that's filling him with joy and he's thinking about how good God is and he's adoring God's grace and loving Christ's gospel and thinking about God's glory and that is filling him with joy and so literally another easy application is hey maybe tomorrow in your devotional time rather than going to God and asking him for a hundred things how about we go to God and thank him for the hundreds of blessings he pours out on our life I would really encourage you to do that because a posture of thanksgiving, it actually stirs our hearts towards joy. You know what the opposite of thanksgiving is? It's this entitlement and spoiledness. And oftentimes, entitled people, they don't have any joy because they expect everything to be given to them. God don't owe you a dang thing. And yet he has given you everything in Christ. 
And so literally, as we feel that and as we remember that, it should spur up joy in our hearts, family. And so I would encourage you, go and try to make it to 100. See if you can write down 100 things that you are thankful for in Christ. And I guarantee you that no matter where your joy meter is, when you start that, when you end that, you'll be filled with more joy because you'll realize the goodness of God. And that's one of a thousand ways that we can grow in our affections for God as we think about and feel the things that he's done for us. Paul has all this joy because of his intimacy with God. And you can have the same type of joy as you grow intimate with the God of the universe. I want to close this section and we're going to read the last little section here, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to have my great friend Luke Thompson read that for us. Hey everyone, my name is Luke. I'm a covenant member here at The Well. I'm part of the Koenig CG, and I'm also one of the welcome team leads. Uh, today I'll be reading from Philippians 1, 12-18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Uh, I miss y'all. Can't wait to get back together. Still trying to figure out how we're going to shake hands. We'll figure it out. So we talked about this a bunch over the past two weeks, and so I won't belabor this point, but notice how Paul has all this joy despite his bleak circumstances. And so literally, God is going to use you despite your circumstances, or maybe even because of your circumstances. And that's what Paul is acknowledging here. His suffering is leading to an advancing of the gospel, and Paul loves the gospel so much that that suffering is leading to joy. If we realize how our suffering leads to the advancement of the gospel, and if we love the gospel, then our suffering will even lead us to joy, family. See, this is what Paul has here, this affection for the work of Christ and how it's advancing throughout the nations. Paul knows that God is using all things for good, even his imprisonment, and he's realizing the things that God is doing, and that is leading to a greater and greater joy. Now, we could do a whole sermon about how God uses even wicked people to advance the gospel, like Paul says here, but that's also another sermon for another time, right? But notice all this joy that's found in Christ. You see, literally, it's not found in having a trouble-free life or a life filled with stuff. Unfortunately, most of us spend most of our time, emotion, and energy trying to avoid suffering and fill our life with stuff. And so no wonder why our joy meter is only able to go as high as trouble-free life and stuff-filled life actually takes us, which pales in comparison to Jesus, family. You see, most of us, we're spending our energy, our affections on the wrong thing. But if we look toward Christ, man, our joy will explode through our bodies, like it says, unable to express it, like Peter says. And this is true of Paul. The happiest man in Rome is in a prison cell because literally that cannot steal his joy because his joy isn't set on this earth. His joy is set on heaven. And Paul believes this. When you focus on Christ, even if people are slandering you to advance the gospel, you rejoice because the gospel is what you 
you care about. And even if you're suffering, you realize Christ is still being highlighted. Even if you are chained to a Roman guard, you can have this joy, family. This is yours. That is in Christ. It doesn't matter what is happening here because you realize that you have freedom because of Jesus. Notice that Paul says in verse 14, he says, speak the word. And then in verse 15, he says, preach Christ. And then in verse 18, he says, Christ proclaims, speak, preach, proclaim. He actually uses three different words about sharing the gospel. And so when the gospel is what you care about, nothing can steal your joy. When you want it to be advanced, this is where your heart's affections are. And if that is happening, then you rejoice. I love what Francis Chan says here about this section. Francis Chan is a pastor and an author, and he says this, Paul mentions joy-related words about 20 times throughout Philippians. This is crazy joy because it doesn't derive from pleasurable circumstances. It comes from Christ and is experienced even or especially in suffering. But it doesn't come naturally. We must pray for joy and fight for joy. We must fight against overvaluing things in this life and remember that Jesus is our greatest treasure and highest good. Beneath all of our sins is a lack of joy in Christ. We live out of the overflow of our hearts, and we must find our greatest pleasure in knowing Christ. Are you willing to put even your circumstances far below the value of the gospel in Christ? Because if you are, then none of your circumstances will ever be able to steal your joy. This is what we have in Jesus. Is the gospel this necessary and this beautiful for you? Have you received the gospel like this? If not, listen, that is okay, but I'm telling you, there's far more of Jesus to be had, family. You can have more of Christ. Christianity isn't some lame suit and tie religion, so if you believe that, whoever sold you that, they sold you a lie. This is a intimacy with Christ and a knowledge of God. It is joy everlasting, and we know this most clearly when we look at the person of Jesus. You know, Paul could have all this unity with the church and all this partnership in the gospel because Christ was separated for Paul. You know, Paul can have this connection, even though isolated in a jail cell, because Christ was isolated, even though one with God the Father himself. You see, uh, Paul is sitting here with this crazy, intimate connection with Christ and all this joy because of Jesus. Paul could be filled with the passion of Christ because of the passion of Christ. Christ. Literally, Paul can be confident in his suffering and God's sovereignty, using it because Christ did not stay dead, but he resurrected, proving that God uses all things for the sake of his glory. So Paul can have this confidence now. We can have this joy because Jesus became the man of sorrows, resurrected, gave us the Holy Spirit, who is joy dwelling inside of us. We can walk in him. Amen. This is what we have in Jesus. And so listen, I want to encourage you as we close, like if you could bottle up all of Paul's love and all of Paul's joy, and if you could put it on a shelf and sell it, you would sell it for millions, family. You'd be the richest person on earth, and yet it's available for free. Now, it did cost Christ something. It cost him everything. And yet now it is ours free in Christ. The question is, how much of it do you want? It is on a platter right before you. And as you consume it more and more, then you are filled with everything our hearts actually long for. This joy, hope, and love, it is ours in Christ. And so drink deeply, friends. Drink of the love of Jesus. I love you guys so much. Let's pray. 
Man, God, thank you. Thank you that this treasure, this joy, it is ours in you, Christ. That if we simply look to you and love you, then we have everything our hearts long for. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to seek you even this week. That we would spend time being thankful for the relationships and the partnerships that you put in our life. That that would produce joy. That we'd be thankful for even our circumstances, knowing that you work all things out for good. That we can trust you. God, let us love the gospel that much that we can actually know the God of the universe and have this heart and this head knowledge that driving our joy, I pray that would be true for us. Let our hearts always look to you, Father, as our joy and as our treasure, because that is what you are. God, I pray for everybody who does not know you like that. I pray that if they do not have a relationship with you, that they would see that everything their hearts long for, it is found in Jesus. And that even today they would decide to give their lives to you and to trust you as God. And that they would ask you to come inside of their hearts, to dwell inside of them, to save them from themselves. That they would know this joy everlasting. God, thank you that this joy is everlasting for all of us who have put our faith in you. That even if we don't feel it, and even when we chase lesser things, that you will still woo us back to yourself. And this joy will be forever. Everlasting doesn't mean that it goes away somewhere. When coronavirus comes, or when we lose our jobs, or when our marriage is on the rocks, or even when we die. In fact, when we die, we resurrect, and then we finally find joy forever. Thank you. But until that day comes, we practice the kingdom on earth. And would we see you and know you, Christ, fill our hearts with joy. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. And we pray these things in your very, very, very beautiful name. Amen.